Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Everybody, hello and welcome to Fruit Loop Season 3, Episode 13. Thank you all so, so damn much for listening. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that we don't hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight cis white dudes. What? There are many <laughs> well-documented cases of serial killers of color, and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist. Allegedly. <laughs> you sound so happy about that. I know. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602 and we may feature it on a future episode. 
Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod. And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And if you're not on Facebook, you can join the discussion on Twitter or Instagram by using the hashtag Fruit Loops Pod Discussion. All of our footnotes for each episode, which articles and other media we use to source this story, the musical notes, all of that stuff can be found on our website. That's right. And if you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App, uh, which you can download to your phone. Everybody knows that. We don't have to say it. But we are at online at cash.me forward slash dollar sign pod. Or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. And we also have some merch for sale on our website at fruitloopspod.com forward slash merch. And my mom says she loves me, but she still hasn't bought a mug. <laughs> if you can't help me, no problem. You can always give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you get your podcast from. And be sure to share our show with your friends. Very important. Yeah. So who are we talking about today, Beth? Today we are talking about Las Hermanas Gonzalez, or the Gonzalez sisters, also known as Las Pocianchis. From the 1950s until the mid-1960s, they ran a sex trafficking ring in Mexico, and at the same time committed at least 91 murders. This story was suggested to us by our Facebook group member, Val. Mm, thank you, Val. Yeah. This was a fun one to research. It was. So how you doing before we get into the story? <laughs> I'm doing good. So uh, as you know, <laughs> but everybody else doesn't know, we went to a podcasting <laughs> event last week and uh, it was really, really fun. Uh, we got to meet a bunch of other podcasters and I think maybe we made some friends. So, uh, so. Yeah, yeah, it was really great. Yeah, it was a lot of fun um, and it was cool sort of. Literally, you can make a podcast about anything. I mean, there was a paranormal podcast. There was a podcaster about who podcasts about podcasting. Um, there was, uh, who else was there? A podcast about poetry. I mean, just all the things. So Yeah, there's a podcast about falling in love. Mm-hmm. There was a podcast about vocal discrimination. Making fun of people for how they talk. Right, 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 right. And how it's an asshole move to do that. So um, that was cool. We shouted, I think we shouted them out on most of our social media. We all kind of tagged each other on um, Twitter and Instagram. It's podcasting is amazing. So the whole event was cool. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And also today, as we are recording, it is International Podcast Day. So uh, we appreciate all of those all of those people who shouted us out today on social media, we got a lot of shout outs, which was really exciting. And um, we shared the love by shouting out podcasts that we think are really dope. Um, and we might have missed some pods. So if the Fruit Loops pod squad has any podcasts you think listeners would like, hit us up or, or shout yeah, them out or sure. tag them. Yeah. So um, now we are going to get into listener letters. Well, hello, angels. Hello. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Mr. Postman. What do we got today? (laughs) I'll let you go first, Beth. Okay. Uh, We got a a long email from Jane. And uh, so I'm just going to read what she said. Um, And what she said was, while I lived in London, my daughter went to a Catholic school and we lived in an area that was joyfully culturally diverse. She was in a school that was probably 70 percent POC. She's mixed race. She had a friend that she bonded well with who I will just call M. 
After one play date, me and M's mom were having a cup of tea chatting when she asked me about her two older daughters who were 14 and 11. She said the 14-year-old is showing an interest in boys and their father wants to send them back to our country to be cut. So I said, what do you mean cut? Do you mean female genital mutilation? To which she said, yes. Mm. That was such an unexpected thing that I blurted out, no fucking way, which is probably what I would have done too. So (laughs) yeah. after a few moments, I pulled myself together and we had a good chat. Turns out she had been cut and had never experienced sexual pleasure. Mm. She was also sewn up, just leaving a small enough hole for menstruation. Mm. Needless to say, sex and childbirth were excruciatingly painful, which is really sad. Mm. It was such a learning experience. I felt deeply ashamed for my initial reaction. But uh, as I said, I probably would have had the same reaction. So, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that's that's uh, okay. Yeah. But I don't think she sent her girls back, not because of our conversation, but I think they were a bit too old and maybe deep down she knew it was not right. And asking me and maybe other people too was just confirming to herself. One of the most interesting things was that she was a newly qualified nurse. It really made me think about the pull of culture, how deep-rooted and instinctive that can be. She didn't know anyone who wasn't cut and didn't see it as sexist or for the mutilation that it is. Despite her training, she came to London in her 20s. So that's my story about female genital mutilation, a complicated issue, no doubt. I'm really glad we got this letter, and I want to give you, Jane, some hip-hop air horns um, for being um, willing to share it with us. Yeah. I don't remember what episode it was, but we have talked about female genital mutilation and how um, horrific of a practice that it is. Yeah. But it doesn't seem like that it's going to go away anytime soon. And so if communities um, that believe that it is necessary to do so, I, I would just hope that they would do so in a safe way that doesn't hurt the girls. Like a lot of times anesthesia is not used or, um, the person who's cutting off the girl's clitoris is not um, medically trained. Um, these girls are held down against their will. It's like, and, and a lot of them don't know that they're going into it. Um, it's it's uh, torture. It, it's, like a, it's, a, it's like a surprise. Yeah, it's torture. And then they leave. The, these girls are young. Um, they leave. And, and if you want to torture yourself, you can you can go online and watch videos of um, journalists who've, who've captured um, the experiences of these girls before, during, and after. And it's it's just horrific. So um, I'm really, really glad, Jane. Um, she must have heard that episode and, and wanted to get back to us. So I really, really yeah. appreciate that. Yeah, thank you, Jane. Yes, thank you, Jane. My listener letter is from Citrus Sunshine on Apple Podcasts. And this is a review that uh, Citrus Sunshine left saying, I love the Culture Corner parts. Wendy explains it very clearly. And they talk about a lot of cases that I never heard. So, Citrus Sunshine, you get your hip-hop air horns. Amen. Uh, and Jesse sent us an email saying, so many listeners of true crime are white women. And I don't think I knew that. But um, I do now. <laughs> I think your education on race is amazing and, and reaching an audience that needs to hear it. I appreciate you calling us out kindly and with truth. You are changing lives. Oh, my God. See, Mom, it's not just a podcast, <laughs> signed Jesse. 
and she uh, also signed in parentheses that she's a white woman. Um, but sounds like she's like Beth, so she gets all of the hip hop air horns. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, lastly, we have a new patron named Kim. So Kimmy. Do you love me? Are you riding? So you never ever leave our podcast. Na, 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 na. Uh, so uh, hip hop air horns to you, Kim. <laughs> so now we're going to take just a quick break and then we're going to get back into the story when we come back. Hello. Hello! Welcome to BSP Believer Skeptic Podcast. The podcast where two idiots debate weird phenomena. I'm Chris. I'm the believer. I'm Cody. I'm the skeptic. We are an LGBTQ paranormal comedy podcast. <laughs> and this is how it works. Every week, we pick a strange but fascinating paranormal topic, such as... La Llorona. Voodoo. Crimes of passion. Empaths. Holiday traditions. Cryptids. Conspiracy theories. Incorruptibles. Ghosts. Telekinesis. Mind control. Deja vu. True crime. Medical miracles. Simulacra. Cursed artifacts. The apocalypse. Stigmata. (sighs) All right, and after presenting you with a lot of really fun information... I tell you why I believe... And then I debunk the crap out of it. Oh, of course. (laughs) And along the way, you might find some um, really TMI information. Some gay humor. And also some um, sexual innuendos. So tune in, have fun, and bye! Bye. So uh, who are we talking about today, Beth? Today we're talking about the Gonzalez sisters, sex traffickers and murderers in Mexico. Hmm. So now we are going to get into my favorite part of the show. I, I, I think it's the juiciest part. It's the first bite of the burger. Um, the stats. Okay. So today we are talking about Las Hermanas Gonzalez, a.k.a. the Gonzalez sisters, a.k.a. Las Pokianchis. And by the way, Pokianchis, I was looking for a translation and... There is no translation. It's just yeah. It's just I nickname. couldn't find it either. <laughs> I heard some people try to. I I saw on the internet some people try to like break it down like, uh, poco poco or poki like meaning small and yanchis. They were trying to say it. It um uh came came from the word uh, motherfucker because a uh, um pinche de madre or or cuta de madre or some. They were trying to make it sound like it was like little motherfucker. <laughs> And uh, I, I didn't, I, I just didn't see it. When, you didn't, when you don't I, buy it. Now, yeah. No, I don't. And now I have a degree in the Spanish language. Okay. So I am very well qualified, <laughs> but uh, I, I just didn't, I, it's just a nickname. So it doesn't come from anything. So sorry guys. Okay. Um, but Las, Las Poquianchis were four Mexican sisters. Uh, they were very religious and simultaneously very sadistic and evil. Delfina and Maria de Jesus Gonzalez are the two most famous of the Mexican sisters who ran a prostitution ring. Um, with, and there was four of them total. We'll get into that later. Um, but uh, their ring was the site of 91 confirmed murders, but is believed to actually be up to 150 murder victims that they were responsible for. So many murders that the Guinness Book of World Records, and I didn't know that they got involved in this kind of business, uh, gave them the title of most prolific murder partnership. See goals, yeah. <laughs> and another unfortunate thing about such a prolific uh, murderous team is that we don't have all the girls' names. Actually, in fact, we there might only be one. There was a girl who escaped, and I think yeah. she w- has been named, but none of the other nobody names else we yeah. know, which is. We we um we That's wish pretty we did. sad, yeah. yeah. 
Uh, police officers searched the sisters' property near the San Francisco del Rincón and found the bodies of eight women, 11 men, and several fetuses. The crimes took place in Guanajuato, Mexico, in uh, 19, from 1945 to 1964. And side note, I was going to study abroad in uh, Guanajuato, Mexico. Oh, wow. Uh, but my dad cut me off before it was oh, time to man. buy my flight, my plane ticket. So Yikes. And by the way, people call Guanajuato GTO. GTO, huh? Yeah. Hmm. Well, that's what the white kids who study abroad who come back. I see, I see. <laughs> so uh, now we're going to get into the setting. So take us there, Beth. So the setting is Mexico in the early to mid 20th century. The very early part of the century was dominated by Porfiriato. Is that right? Yep, Porfiriato. You did it. Which is the Pat time period on the back. <laughs> when Porfirio Diaz was the president of Mexico from 1876 to 1911. Diaz was president for approximately 35 years. And his presidency was basically a dictatorship. One of Diaz's political slogans was pan o palo, bread or the stick, meaning that going along with the authorities would ensure livelihood, but failure to do so would bring reprisals, such as harassment, imprisonment, and even death. Even more significantly, liberty was dropped from an earlier slogan of liberty, order, and progress, libertad, Order, orden y progress. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> loss of liberty was the price the Mexican people were expected to pay for the benefits of order and progress. Like many authoritarians, Diaz didn't bother to address Mexico's deep-seated social problems. Mexico was a country with a small middle class and a largely illiterate rural peasantry living in essentially feudal conditions. His presidency benefited the wealthy elites, but not the middle and lower classes, which sounds familiar. Very much so. I'm terrified. The Mexican Revolution occurred around the time the Gonzalez sisters were babies and young children, when in 1911, Francisco Madero was elected president and Diaz was forced to step aside. Popular leaders like Emiliano Zapata in southern Mexico and Pancho Villa in the north emerged as champions of the peasant and working class. And Pancho Villa is like a revered hero. Yeah. Uh, refusing to submit to presidential authority. Conflict and violence continued until around 1923 when Álvaro Obregón was recognized as the president of Mexico. Obregón put into place a series of agrarian reforms and gave official sanction to organizations of peasants and laborers. He also instituted sweeping educational reform, enabling the Mexican Cultural Revolution that began during this period. It was during that time that Diego Rivera rose to prominence, which if you do not know who he is, come on, where you been? He was a famous Mexican artist and he's famous for painting those white flowers. And I can't think of the name of the flowers, but um, he was also involved in the government sponsored Mexican mural program. Mexico has a tradition of painting murals, starting with the Olmec civilization in the pre-Hispanic period. Now, um, I have to do a, another culture corner that I wasn't planning, but Hispanic means literally of Spain. So they were colonized by Spain. So before Spain colonized Mexico, these the Olmec civilization was doing these murals. And into the colonial period, which during that time, murals were painted to evangelize and reinforce Christian doctrine. Shocking. <laughs> <laughs> 
The post-revolution mural program hired artists to paint murals around the country, generally with social and political messages, as part of an effort to reunify the country under the post-revolutionary government. This program impacted other parts of the Americas, including the United States, where it was an inspiration for the Chicano art movement. Cool. Mm-hmm. Diego Rivera is better known today as the husband of Frida Kahlo, who is more popular these days than her husband, and definitely more popular now than when she lived, which is fine with me because Diego Rivera was kind of a dick. He was. Uh, but man, <laughs> Frida, Frida and Diego, their love was epic. She loved the shit out of him. He loved the shit out of her. Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't believe that. And she was, <laughs> she was unfaithful. Well, no, I, I think that she was just amazed. He was amazed by how talented and um, she really was a woman before her time. She was, but I think he treated her like shit and uh, she loved the shit out of him and he did not uh, love her as much as she loved him. That's what I think. She was unfaithful too, though. Yeah, but because... She had re- sexual relationships with men and women. She drank, she smoked. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And um, I, I, just, I, I just thought, you know, I, the, I think that their love is, is really to me remarkable because he was also with her when she died um yeah. he um they loved really hard and they fought really hard like that kind of love that intense love i i think is remarkable no i don't thanks. know i think it's fascinating <laughs> <laughs> i'm like pass hard pass thank you bye <laughs> i mean i i i always i've been with my husband for 15 years and i always say like there is nobody on this planet who makes me happier but there is also nobody on this planet who makes me more angry. <laughs> so anyway, <clears throat> so uh, sex work in Mexico is legal under federal law, although sex work involving minors under 18 and pimping is illegal. Each of the 31 states enacts its own laws and policies. 13 of the 31 states allow and regulate sex work. Um, have you ever been to one of those strip clubs in Mexico? I haven't. I've actually never been to a strip club, period. <gasps> are you kidding me no beth oh my god you have really lived. have no no interest until the cheeks of a beautiful woman are sitting in your face or her breasts are jiggling in your face yeah it's no so thanks. fun oh my god i'm gonna take you okay, okay. continue <laughs> We'll do it. We'll do It'll be research for the show. <laughs> you can see how uncomfortable I can get. Nah, you have a throw back a couple. You'll feel you'll feel right at home. And if you love good music, I'm telling you, a strip club is where if you want to be on the edge of the newest, hottest music, the strip club is where they're That's playing. That's where to go, huh? That's where you go. Mm-hmm. Do mm-hmm. do I have to go to the strip club to listen to the newest hottest music? Well, how do you know if you don't go there? You don't know what's popping. You have to go. I I went. Me and my husband went to the strip club. Um, so the next day I was supposed to be um induced to like have a C section or whatever to deliver my son, mm-hmm. and uh, like I had this huge ass belly, and my husband was like, "How are you going to get a lap dance? You can't even see your lap." Uh, but it was, <laughs> but my husband had too much fun at the strip club and I had to drive myself to my own C-section appointment. So oh my anyway, God. Oh my God. <laughs> let's continue oh, the story. Man, that is, that is quite the story. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> but it's fun. I recommend it. Okay. Well, maybe we'll see. 
<laughs> anyway, uh, back to the story. <laughs> yes. Back to the sad, sad stuff. Here we go. Yes, yes. Poverty forces many rural children with or without families to migrate to urban cities to seek employment. And some of them also migrate across the border to the U.S. These children have little or no parental supervision, and many are lured into the sex industry or abducted by child trafficking gangs. Mm-hmm. Now, people wonder why children are sent by themselves to the Mexican-American border. Well, they are often fleeing intense gang violence and severe poverty, which, by the way, the U.S. has a hand uh, in for the instability in Central America. Um, our hands are not clean um, no. for what's going on. People in Mexico love their children, too. So you can imagine how bad it must be to want to send your kid alone to find a better life, to have a chance to live. Yeah. Um, and that's another thing. I mean, p- people are criticizing kids for um, uh, skipping school about the climate change thing. And uh, all the kids are like, why? Why should I stay in class? If I'm not going to have a future. Yeah. Like, what's the point? My future is more important than my education. What is the point? Um, yeah. Those, these two issues are a little bit different, but like the future of children's lives is should be important to everybody. And it's just it as should, important yeah. to American parents as it is to parents of black and brown kids in Central America flee. Um, so, you know, yeah, things have to have been pretty damn bad for them yeah. to want to do that. I'd also like to add that I have friends who are from Jalisco and it is like um, they were describing it to me as like it's like the big city. It is um, very touristy and surrounded by a lot of little towns and it's beautiful and has a lot of culture. And they say that Jalisco is where mariachi music comes from. Ooh. That's from um, some of my friends. But I don't know if that's true. Don't fact check me. <laughs> my dad loved mariachi music. He just loved it. I love mariachi music. I was driving uh, home from work through that neighborhood one day on my way home. And it was some kind of a Mexican holiday. Mm-hmm. And uh, the people had their uh, decorations outside their house. They had candles lit. And there was one mm-hmm. house where they had hired a mariachi band. And it was mm-hmm. playing outside of their house. <laughs> it was yeah, so no, cool. It is really cool. I actually, I, uh, every, every Mexican party I have been to since I growing up in California and living here in Phoenix, there's a mariachi band at every single party. Every single every one. single party. I wish yeah. I like, knew that you can hire mariachi bands to come to your house because I would have done that for my dad. How fun would that have been? <laughs> that would have been awesome. <laughs> and guess what else? You can get a. I have a friend who got a mariachi scholarship to go to ASU. <gasps> what? Yeah, wow. you can get a mariachi scholarship. So wow. So yeah, so the mariachi is fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> I th- I think it's fun, and I always I always like after throwing a few back, like end up singing with the band. <laughs> yeah. So. Ay 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 ay, cielito lindo, los corazones. Okay, so now we're gonna get into the killer's early life. So, what do you got, Beth? So, most of the articles only talk about two of the Gonzalez sisters, but there were actually four, as you mentioned in your in your stats. So, mm-hmm. the sisters were Delfina and then uh, Maria de Jesus. Her nickname was Chewy, which is a nickname for Jesus. Uh, learned mm. something new every day. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, mm-hmm. there was Delfina, Chewy, Maria del Carmen, uh, called Carmen. 
and uh, Maria Luisa, who is called Eva and sometimes referred to in places as Eva the leggy one. Uh, she must have oh. had great legs. <laughs> yeah, or really skinny ones. Oh, that could be. Mm-hmm. I like to think that she had great legs and, and basically they were calling her legs. Hey, legs. <laughs> well, uh, and this is another culture corner thing. So when 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 you get outside of the United States, Latin Latinx cultures and communities sometimes have a hard time understanding why Americans are like calling people white or calling people black or brown is like a bad thing or pointing out what they are. But they just describe you for what you are. So if you are right. fat, they're just going to call you gordo. If you are dark, yeah. <laughs> they're going to call you negrito. If you if you um if you have long legs, they're going to call you. I don't know, piernitas or, or like long legs or they, they just call, they just call it for what it is. Like it and is. So, yeah. Yeah. And, 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 but, and there, obviously there are race issues in all, all around the world and white supremacy is, is a thing all across the, the, the globe. But um, American racism is very different than racism in, in other countries. So, so when, when she has that nickname, the leggy one, I'm, I'm like, well, she must have just had skinny legs. Legs for days. <laughs> they just call you what, what you look like or what yeah. you are. And, and, that's, and that's it. It's not derogatory. It's just describing you. So anyway. Right. <laughs> so the four of them are referred to in the media as the Gonzalez sisters. And for simplification, we will too. But just an mm-hmm. FYI, their full name is Gonzalez Valenzuela. They were born into an extremely poor family in El Salto del Guanacatlan in Jalisco in the early 1900s. So I wanted to also point out about their last name. One source said um, it was a, a Mexican podcast uh, in Spanish that they actually changed their name from Gonzalez to Valenzuela after the father killed somebody. We'll get into that later. And they had to skip town and the name was changed so that they wouldn't get I see, I see. flagged. Um, Their father, Isidro Torres, was an abusive and authoritarian man. He was a member of the rural police during Porfiriato, uh, which we talked about in the setting. He was a violent, alcoholic, machista man who often abused his power. He was feared by both his family and the entire fucking town. He ruled his household with an iron fist and didn't think twice about abusing his children if they failed to follow his rules. This included small infractions down to how his daughters dressed or if they wore makeup, like just a simple stroke of mascara and they would get in big ass trouble. Uh, So welcome to Culture Corner with Wendy and Beth. Uh, Machismo is um, a word that just came up in what I described. Machismo comes from the word macho. It's a theme throughout Latinx culture. And it's basically uh, in Latinx culture, a term to describe toxic masculinity male aggression, and male violence. However, when the term was first used hundreds of years ago, it was more in an idealistic fashion. Granted, at the time, hundreds of years ago, we were in more of a patriarchal kind of society all around the world. Uh, But it was just the idea that men are supposed to provide and protect, but it's sort of uh, evolved and mutated. Yeah. So when somebody is like, ugh, él es bien machista, ugh, it's not a good thing to be machista, right. um, at least from the female perspective. Right. So reportedly, when his daughters wore makeup or clothing that he thought was too risque, he would lock them up in the town jail to teach them a lesson. Their mother, Bernardina Valenzuela, was very religious. And when the sisters complained to her about their father's treatment of them, she just told them to pray about it. Mm. Um. <laughs> 
just pray about it. That's funny. <laughs> Thoughts and prayers. <laughs> Thoughts and prayers, right? As we mentioned, Torres was a member of the rural police. They were basically a, a mounted militia that took it upon themselves to ride horseback around the sparsely populated district in Mexico where they lived in order to impose the rule of law onto the locals. He was known for abusing his power and behaved as though he was above the law. Hmm, sound familiar. Hmm. One time, Garmin ran away with her boyfriend when she was a teenager. Her father found them, beat them both up, and put Carmen in jail for months to teach her a lesson. She was in jail, I think, for like 14, like 14 a year. months. Yeah. 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 However, Torres took it too far when he shot and killed a man during an argument. He made enemies when he murdered this man, and so to avoid a vigilante attack, he moved his family to the small village of San Francisco del Rincón in the state of Guanajuato. Or GTO. Or GTO, (laughs) (laughs) which was called simply San Pancho by the locals. Unfortunately, the move did not improve the lives of of the sisters. They were still very poor. As the Gonzalez sisters became adults, they stuck by each other as their only support systems they were terrified of poverty and this constant fear drove them to open up a saloon together in san pancho the bar didn't bring a lot of money but it gave them enough to eat however like most of us just being able to eat wasn't enough for the sisters they began to venture into sex work when they started using the bar as a brothel the sisters would bribe local officials with money or with sex so that they would look the other way business boomed and they opened up several other brothels in Guanajuato, Jalisco, and Cuarataro. These are states in Mexico. Yeah, and there's like uh, like 30-something states in the whole 31 country. 31 states, yep. There you go. Which I didn't know either, so yeah. Hey, 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 learn something new every day. Yeah. Uh, so Carmen, Delfina, and Chuy operated the brothels in Guanajuato and Jalisco, while Eva ran her brothel in Querétaro. One of the bars that the sisters bought in Lagos, Jalisco, was from a gay man. And he was, I don't, I wasn't clear on this. I thought, at first I thought the bar was named El Pokianchi and they renamed it. But it sounds like the dude might have been nicknamed El Pokianchi. Um, And the nickname, whatever it was, was passed on to the sisters who were now called Los Pokianchis. And uh, they hated that nickname. So that's it for their early life. And now we're going to get into the timeline. So hit it, Beth. (laughs) (laughs) To stock their brothels, the sisters would find girls at nearby ranches in Guanajuato or in rural Jalisco or Michoacan states. Mm -hmm. They would offer them jobs in Guadalajara or León as maids or waitresses. The poor young girls, many of them around the age of 12, were looking mm-hmm. for a better life and would take the promised jobs. The Gonzaleses also used personal ads to lure women in, promising room and board along with a well-paying job. And this is also how they would convince the families of these really, really young girls to let them go with them. Um, other girls were just straight up kidnapped by men who were paid to take women to the Gonzalez's brothel. Once these women got to the brothel by either being lured or kidnapped, they were held as prisoners and sex slaves. They would have the young girls stripped naked and would examine them to make sure they had enough meat on them. 
Some were sold off to other madams for approximately $40 to $80. Virgins who were brought in were set aside for special customers who paid higher rates to deflower the girls. This is so awful. I will never understand yeah. that desire to deflower yeah. an innocent Men girl. Are like I just, <laughs> ugh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um, sorry, the ones not all who... men, but uh, lots <laughs> of men are pigs. <laughs> yes. Uh, so the ones who resisted would be right, but I was also under the impression that um, they would strip them down and to break them in, regardless of whether they resisted or not, rape them. Um, their yeah. accomplices would rape them, um, and they were made to stand for long periods of time with bricks on their hands and heads, clubbed or thrown. Uh, icy water upon them. They would be tortured in this way until they relented or they died. Many of the girls were also forced fed heroin and cocaine to make them more compliant. As the business expanded, the sisters hired a former army captain named Hermenegildo Zuniga, nicknamed the Black Eagle, and Estrada Bocanegra, nicknamed the Executioner, to kidnap more girls and to help around the brothels. And I, um, Read in several places that Hermen Geldo Zuniga was also uh, Delfina's lover, but I, I don't know. It was in some places and not others. So I, I saw that in some sources, too, and that she was even impregnated by him. Like they had. A yeah. Kid. And I, um, I don't know. There's a there's actually a lot of lore in this mm-hmm. story. So it's hard to say what's true and what's not. But this is the what's story. 100 percent true. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. here we go this is fruit loops version so uh the imprisoned women subsided on meager rations of beans and tortillas and uh one source said they only got like five tortillas a day or something like that and they were not allowed to go outside the girls were controlled by the sisters and the black eagle and the sisters' main ranch, Loma del Angel, has since been called the Bordello from Hell, and it resembled a concentration camp. Oh, okay. Um, have you ever been to a concentration camp or a slave, um, uh, like a slave plantation? I have been to um, not a slave plantation, but um, I went to a museum and they had slave quarters there. And I also went to... Um, I don't know what it was. It was in North Carolina and it was like run down um, just out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, just mm-hmm. some some old slave quarters. I mean, they were mm. kept up to a certain extent, but the, it wasn't like a museum. I don't know mm. what it was. I don't remember, mm. but I have seen I, the slave quarters. I was just curious. I mean, I think everybody should. Um, I think concentration camp is like a, an abstract term yeah. for some people. And if you've never been to an actual concentration camp or like a, a plantation and checked out the slave quarters, like fuck the um, the slave holders. Like I know that there's some people who are really interested in, in all the wealth and and the the slave owner yeah, story. I but I don't really care about that. I don't yeah. give a fuck. I didn't. I, and I went to um, a plantation when I was in New Orleans one summer and it was just so sobering, the conditions and that they had to live in yeah that they had to live in and so i'm just like remembering that experience and 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 thinking man this must have really this must have been a nightmare for these girls so yeah i read in different places that they had outbuildings that they would keep the girls in like Mm -hmm. slave quarters i guess and Mm -hmm. then there was razor wire on the uh, fences to keep them in Mm. okay 
Okay. Man. Awful. Yeah. Did you know one out of six couples struggle with infertility, including old Whitey and me? Seriously, that is a staggering statistic that most people don't know or aren't ready to talk about. We need good data and information about our bodies in order to have informed conversations with our doctors and make the best decisions for ourselves and our futures. Good data and information about our bodies is crucial when it comes to our body autonomies, especially in the year of our Lord 2022. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's why Modern Fertility was created. It's an easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. Mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within 10 days. Traditional testing can cost over $1,000, but Modern Fertility gets you the same info at a fraction of the price. And if you go to modernfertility.com fruit, you can get $20 off your test. Also, and this is really cool, mm. if you have an HSA or an FSA, you can put those dollars towards Modern Fertility. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Now, if you want kids today, or in the future, never or are undecided. It's important to have clinically sound information about your body, which can help you make the decision that's right for you. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com fruit. That means your test will cost $179 instead of the hundreds or thousands it could cost at a doctor's office. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com fruit. That's modernfertility.com fruit. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. How we care for our minds affects how we experience life, so it's important to invest time and care into keeping them healthy. There are plenty of ways to support a healthy brain, like learning a new language or taking power naps, but there's also BetterHelp Online Therapy. Now, we are huge advocates for mental health here at Fruit oh, yeah. HQ. Oh, yes. And we have both used therapy throughout our lives, including BetterHelp, and especially in these past several years to help us deal with challenging times, mm-hmm. challenging thoughts, feelings and experiences. Amen. Yes. And uh, now I had a recent, you know, conversation with my therapist. She was saying sometimes it's just good to talk and get some perspective. You don't have to go to a therapist just because stuff is wrong. So Right, right. And BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat only therapy sessions. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. And some people get really anxious about that. So Oh, yes. And it is much more affordable than in-person therapy. And you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash fruit. That's betterhelp.com slash fruit. So uh, Delfina had a son and his name was Raymond Torres El Tepo. And he also served as muscle. And do you know what El Tepo means? Because I tried to research that and I couldn't find a translation. I don't. I don't. I wish I did. I'm sorry. Okay. The, the closest the closest I found was um, it was like on a urban dictionary or something like that, where Tepo mm-hmm. is supposed to be like useless. So oh. <laughs> like the useless one. <laughs> that's funny. But I don't that's really know funny. if that's true. So yeah, um, I don't either. Get at us if you do. Yeah. So he also helped keep the girls in line. And for years, the sisters made a ton of money selling booze and sex to soldiers, councilmen, police, and villagers. But in the late 50s, Carmen died of cancer, leaving only three sisters, Delfina, Chewy, and Eva. Mm, And Carmen was one of the ringleaders. Yeah. Running the business was not without problems for the sisters. When one of the girls would get pregnant, she would be beaten and forced to abort or would have to endure a back alley abortion, which I actually saw on film oh god don't like hate me but there's this movie called nymphomaniac and oh um, man 
the female star and Shia LaBeouf is in it. The female star is a nymphomaniac and she ends up getting pregnant, but she doesn't want to have the baby. And she but she had some experience in medical school. She didn't finish. And she talks the audience through an abortion. And basically a cervix is only open two times when you um, are ovulating and when you are having a baby. And if you are having an abortion, you have to force it open to get the fetus out, which is extremely painful if you are doing it back alley style and pulling the fetus out. Um, It was horrific, but um, I only say that to say that it was horrific for these women too. The uh, fetuses were buried in the backyard. Some of the women carried to term, and if the baby was a girl, they would not kill it with hopes that eventually they could put the little girl to work for them. Surprisingly, Las Pocianchis were very, very religious, but they they really fucked up the like the religious rules. So, um, they like the 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 girls couldn't perform anal because that was against God, and uh, they were not allowed to perform lesbian acts because that was against God, and they weren't also. I heard this only in one spot, so they weren't allowed to kiss clients. But abortion and murder totally cool. Oh God. Eventually, when the sex slaves grew ill, suffered from an STD, stopped being willing to perform or please clients, or they lost their looks, or got to the ripe old age of 25, they were murdered and buried on the land surrounding the brothels. The killings were not done in any humane way either. The women were locked in rooms, sometimes for months, and intentionally starved to death. Or the sisters forced the other women to bludgeon them to death with sticks or logs. And sometimes these sticks or logs had nails sticking out of them. Yikes. They would burn them with irons and some were buried alive. Few of the women lasted more than five years. And that is actually also not an uncommon theme in slavery. Uh, If you read that biography about Alexander Hamilton, he was witnessing all these slaves in that Caribbean island where he lived. And he was like, none of these people are living more than five years. What the fuck is going on? Yikes. Yeah. The Black Eagle and the executioner handled the bodies, burning them or burying them in mass graves. Johns with a lot of cash would also be murdered, their money stolen and their bodies burned. Which is weird because wouldn't you want them to bring in more money? killing these rich ass jobs i don't know yeah hmm. um it just if they flashed too much cash then they were just like hey just gonna take it now all right there are several variations on how the sisters were caught in one version in 1963 delfina's son ramon torres el tepo got into an argument with a lagos de moreno police officer and was shot to death inside of one of the gonzalez sisters brothels the police closed the place down In a fit of rage, Delfina ordered Zuniga, the Black Eagle, to track down the cops who killed her son and kill them, which he did. This sparked a war between the sisters and the police. Another is that in January 1964, a woman named Catalina Ortega, or possibly three women whom Catalina was one of, managed to escape Loma del Angel and fled. Ortega ran to her mother, and together they went to the police in Leon, Guanajuato, to file a complaint. The police there were not on the Gonzalez sisters' payroll, and they got a search and arrest warrant. A third story is that a procurist named Josefina Gutierrez was arrested while trying to find more women for the brothel. Uh, That she turned on the Gonzalez sisters to save her own skin and told the police, 
all the tea. It may be that all of these things happened, but it's hard to say for sure. Uh, in any case, January 14th, 1964, the police raided Loma del Angel Ranch. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Catch a tiger by the toe. If you holler, let him go. I'm going to pick. Uh, that's a lot of stories. It's a lot of different stories. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So now we're going to get into the arrest. So what do you got for us, Beth? At the ranch, police found at least a dozen emaciated and dirty women locked up in a room. As police and reporters explored the ranch, some of these women pointed to places in the yard and told police that they would find bodies there. Authorities excavated and found the decomposing bodies and bones of at least 91 women, men, and fetuses. That is a an astounding number of bodies to be. I mean, yeah. I wonder if the place stunk, if they were all decomposed. You would think so, yeah. Uh, Ava was not present as she ran the operation out of Queretaro, but Delfina and Chuy fled. Ava returned to Guanajuato and she was arrested because she had hierbas or herbs on her and she was wearing red clothing. They accused her of satanic <laughs> practices. Delfina and Chuy were later captured attempting to sell some items for money to make an escape. Still dressed in black, mourning El Tepo's death and wearing shawls. They were herded throughout the ranch while angry villagers gathered outside shouting obscenities, demanding to lynch and rip these women apart. Under heavy military guard, the sisters were then taken to a jail in San Francisco del Rincón. But because the whole town was in an uproar and wanted to lynch the women, a judge sent them to Irapuato City Jail. We mentioned in an earlier statement that Eva returned to Guanajuato and she was arrested there. But there's one account that said that she went to Mexico City and turned herself in, fearing being lynched. Eventually, everybody got arrested. And yeah. uh, it was eventually revealed that in addition to killing all their sex slaves, these sisters were responsible for the deaths of many migrant workers and wealthy customers who, ro who they robbed and killed. So now we're going to get into the trial, which was huge worldwide news. So hit it, Beth. Whoops. <laughs> yeah, this story was massive in Mexico, and the trial was a spectacle. Dozens of women accused the sisters of rape, murder, and extortion. They also accused La Pocayanchis of dabbling in Satanism, forcing the women to practice sexual acts on animals and killing and torturing dozens of young girls and Johns. Okay, side note. I know that these women were very, very religious, but we have uncovered a theme in our Fruit Loops lexicon that whenever women are involved in murder, they always have to... Turn it back. To, it must have been the brujerias. It must have been some Satanism, witchcraft. It yeah, must have been yeah. Satanism or hoodoo or voodoo when it comes to black women. So I I don't know if this is I don't I don't know if I believe the the Satanism. The part. Satanism. Yeah. yeah. And and it kind of reminded me of uh, the story with Amanda Knox. Uh huh. Because it, it was in Italy and um, she wasn't behaving in the way that the Italians thought she should have been behaving. So um, I don't know if they blamed Satanism, but I think they thought she was loose and uh, she had bad morals and therefore she must have killed this other woman. And, right. Um, it, it was crazy. 
Um, and I think it was because they're so deeply religious there. They're Catholic there also. Maybe, but um, Mal- do you know, who, you know who Malcolm Gladwell is? We've shouted him out on the show before. Yeah, yeah. Um, he has a new book out and I can't wait to get my hands on a bootleg copy of an audio version of it. It's called Talking to Strangers. And basically in, he covers the Amanda Knox case. And he, he talks about how we um, see people's reactions and we read them completely wrong. Hence, Sandra Bland getting shot by the police or Amanda Knox being immediately accused of being guilty because she wasn't reacting the way the public expected her to react when her roommate, who she should have been so close to, she should be devastated, but she didn't react that way. And and that, and and, um, basically what he's getting at is we're all really terrible at reading people. And so we just need to, we just need to talk to each other. We just do need better. to ask. Yeah. yeah, we need to do better. Anyway, um, but that that is a very good point, Beth. They accused Delfina, Eva, and Chewy of bribing local and state authorities, who were also regulars to the sisters' bars and brothels. <laughs> the trial was chaotic, to say the least, as the Gonzalez sisters and their accusers shouted insults at each other across the courtroom during the proceedings. Whoa! <laughs> But the trial was also short, and in October of 1964, Delfina Gonzalez Valenzuela, she was 56 years old, and Maria de Jesus Chuy Gonzalez Valenzuela, she was 39, were given the maximum sentence of 40 years in prison. Nineteen other members of the slavering, including other family members, were reportedly also given jail sentences. And I believe that Eva also got 40 years like her sisters. Okay. But in the article that I read that listed their ages, it uh, didn't say. <laughs> huh. Okay. Like I said, most of the articles uh, focused on the two sisters, Delfina and Chewy, and I don't, right. I don't know why that is. I think it's because they were caught first. It could be, could be. Yeah, I don't know. But the money that the Gonzalez sisters had was divided up between the victims. Well, that's good. Yeah. Um. So now we're going to get into where are they now? I'll start. The oldest sister, Delfina, and by the way, Delfin is a dolphin in Spanish. Oh. So maybe her parents really like dolphins. Yeah. Delfina Gonzalez Valenzuela went mad, fearing she would be murdered in jail in October 17th, 1968. While she screamed and ranted, workers doing reparations above her cell in Irapuato jail accidentally dropped a bucket of cement on her head. Isn't that like <laughs> Looney Tunes style? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and this is some accounts say that she died right away. But I heard one account where she didn't die right away. It took two weeks for her to die. And then um, and then and then she lights out for. And then she died. Delfina. Yeah. <laughs> They did. Maria Luisa Gonzalez Valenzuela, or Eva, died alone in her cell at Irapuato Jail on November 19, 1984. Her body was discovered the next day, half eaten by rats. Ooh. The guards mm. really didn't care about this one. Um, no. So Maria de Jesus Gonzalez Valenzuela, or Chuy, the youngest of the Boquianchis, was the only one to be freed. She allegedly met a 64-year-old man in prison, and once they were both outside, they married and lived their life in obscurity, finally dying of old age in the mid-1990s. 
In 2002, workers clearing land for a new housing development in Purisima del Rincón, Guanajuato, near the Loma del Angel Ranch, found the remains of about 20 bodies in a pit. Authorities said the victims were probably buried there in the 50s or 60s, and they were probably victims of Las Poquianchis. So um, give it up for Las Poquianchis because they hold the Guinness <laughs> Book of World Records as the most prolific murder partnership in all of history, <laughs> which is a terrible award to win. But <laughs> my... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Fruitless Pod is doing pretty good, but my mom won't even buy a mug. So I would take the Guinness Book of World Records for most prolific murder partnership. That's just me. Sorry. Yeah, if this doesn't pan out, <laughs> maybe we can uh, work on that. <laughs> Lips are sealed. Zip. Uh, so now we are going to get into what we believe made the killer snap. And our takeaways. So what do you got, Beth? I can't wait. So they grew up poor with an abusive father and a mother who did not protect them. They were terrified of poverty. And I, I think it's weird how their father was so controlling about their sexuality. And then they went on to run brothels. I can't help but think that there's something psychological to that. Mm. Um, I'm not a psychiatrist, so I don't know Mm-hmm. Um, exactly what it is, but there's something. There's something yeah. there. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's a there there. Yeah, there's a there there for sure. <laughs> and maybe they were angry with their mother for not protecting them and took it out on the women that they imprisoned. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, they may also have fed off of each other. Um, you know how some people, you know, they may not have done anything bad by themselves, but then they get together and and uh, they do awful things. So like the Menendez brothers, it could be. Yeah, <laughs> when, yeah. When, when, one brother is like, let's kill mom and dad. And the other brother is like, okay, <laughs> you got a problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I also think religion may have had something to do with it. Um, this is just my opinion. Uh, sometimes religions have rules that people have to follow and they just have to follow them blindly. The rules are not discussed and there's no discussion of ethics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people who are brought up like that are sometimes missing a moral compass. Um, Like I I wasn't brought up under any religion, but my parents taught me right from wrong. And we had conversations about ethics and morals and they let us figure things out. Mm -hmm. But I have sometimes been asked by super religious people, how do I know right from wrong without religion? Uh, My question is, how do you not know right from wrong without (laughs) religion? (laughs) Uh Uh That's pretty fucked up. Not knowing what you should or should not do without having a religion to tell you. Right. So I don't know. And and I I see this also in um, like the mob, you know, a lot of those people are are really religious. Right. They go to mass. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they go and they do these horrible things and then they go to confession and they think it's it's okay that God forgives them. Oh, my God. They can Can just do whatever they want. I have always want. Okay, so (sighs) Sister Act really fucked me up (laughs) because it made me want to be a nun. And. I always wanted to go to confession like because like free therapy, right? Um, <laughs> no, no, I, it's I, not. I, 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 so I grew I grew up in the Christian church. My dad was a minister, an ordained minister. We had to go to church every Sunday, every Wednesday, and sometimes on Thursdays, and it fucking sucked. And now me and my brothers, I mean, I mean, we sort of felt like it was forced down our throat. 
Um, and it was, right. you know, I sometimes wonder, like as a mom, you know, we've we've gone to church a few times, but I don't really feel I don't really feel drawn to like a church um, atmosphere or um, I don't really feel like it's necessary to to bring my kids there. Not saying that my parents did anything wrong. I think they did what they thought was best. And and um, that's that's how they were raised. And this is probably how the Pukianchis were raised. But I I just I'm like, you know, and I've studied other religions. I went to a Christian college, so you have to take all these religious classes. And I, I just, can't we just be nice to each other? <laughs> That's my thought. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can't we just be nice? <laughs> anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the abuse might have contributed, in my opinion, to how sadistic that these girls were. Like their their dad really fucked them up. So yeah. the idea of like killing somebody else or torturing another human being might not have seemed odd or strange or even wrong yeah. based on, I mean, their baseline was awful. So, you, you know yeah. what I mean? Like anything above or below that, uh, you know, yeah, muddy waters. Uh, <laughs> and also growing up in poverty, I think contributed to how ruthless they were. So yeah. I have, if, when you have felt the, the um, pain or the fear and anxiety of not knowing whether the lights are going to be on, where your next meal is going to be, you know, like what the fuck are we going to do for money? You will do anything for it, yeah. including yeah. kill people and torture them. Um, well, I mean, not me. <laughs> I'm just saying these girls. So I just think that right. I think that was just their motivation was money, 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 money. And um, right. they never wanted to be poor again. They ever. never. You're no, under no circumstances. Will I be begging for food again? And right. um, so it's not surprising to me um, that they ended up the way they did. Again, not all not, not all people who are abused and poor end up being like serial murderers or uh, torturers or no. you know sex traffickers. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I understand. I, I feel like I understand their their sentiment. Um, also, it was weird to me that these women, these four sisters who had been abused themselves like didn't turned see, around and didn't didn't abused. see yeah they they turned they they became abusers but were incapable right. of seeing their victims as that seeing themselves in their victims like, like them yeah right like them like so i whenever i see another like young fat girl i always try to like say like hey what's up you so beautiful you know what i mean or like uh if i see another like really dark skinned girl or a brown girl or you know somebody who i who resonates with me who i can relate to yeah. like a little a little little kid a young girl like i just i they need a compliment. They need a blessing in the form of a compliment right yeah, away. Yeah, you, you have you know empathy. I mean? Yeah, you have empathy. Yeah. And, and these girls had none, which is yeah, crazy. none, none whatsoever. Yeah, none for anybody else. So no, nope. that's all I got. Um. So now we are going to get into. How not to get murdered. <clears throat> if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. <laughs> I was not rubbing my nipples that time. 
<laughs> this segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's mistakes. Sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just offer up generic tips. Okay, so this is from an article that we will link up in our show notes, and it's written by the founder and president of I Empathize, a nonprofit that combats crimes against children with a focus on prevention. He says, exploitative people, including traffickers, use psychological manipulation as a primary means of control. They come into the lives of vulnerable girls and boys online through social media, in person, at places like school, at the mall, through the established relationships that youth have in their families and communities. Exploiters get to know a youth's vulnerabilities in order to become the person that the child desires to have in their life. Once trust is gained, exploitation begins. I Empathize has identified five disguises that a person looking to exploit someone may take on to gain trust. And I must say, if you've been a fan of Oprah Winfrey, she has been telling us these things for the past 30 years. First, the pretender, someone who pretends to be something. This is all part of the grooming process. They groom the child or they groom the young person. Someone who pretends to be something they are not, such as a boyfriend or a big brother or a father or a sister, the provider, Uh, someone who offers to take care of an individual's need, such as for clothes, food, a place to live, or their wants like cool cell phones, purses and parties. Also, there's the promiser, someone who promises access to great things like an amazing job, a glamorous lifestyle and travel. Uh, there's also the protector, someone who uses physical power or intimidation to protect, but also control an individual. And the punisher, someone who uses violence and threats to control an individual. When the previous disguises have been exhausted, an exploitative person often becomes a punisher to maintain control. And uh, for more information about I Empathize, check out IEmpathize.org. So now we're going to get into serial killer, true crime news. Extra, extra, read all about it. What do you have, Beth? (laughs) So this story was posted by Sasha in our Facebook group. Ciudad Juarez is a Mexican city on the Rio Grande, just south of El Paso, Texas. Since the 1990s, an estimated 1,500 women and girls have disappeared there. Many are still missing, but the mutilated bodies of hundreds of them have been found (gasps) buried in the surrounding desert. Oh, no. Despite investigations, the mystery of the missing women of Ciudad Juarez has never been solved. And the families believe the victims are kidnapped by the local drug cartels, forced into prostitution, and then murdered. They also believe that the police and local authorities have helped cover up the crimes. Mm. But it's not just Ciudad There is an epidemic of violence against women in Mexico, so common that it's referred to as femicide, the gender-based murder of women. According to the United Nations, roughly seven women are murdered every day in Mexico, and the rate of femicides in the country has risen significantly since 1985. But Mexican women are rising up in protest. They took to the streets to demand justice on August 16th demanding an end to systematic gender violence. 
The countryside protests were part of the quote unquote glitter revolution Mm. and ignited after an activist doused Mexico City's security minister, Jesus Orta Martinez, with pink glitter during an (laughs) August 12th demonstration demanding justice for a 17 year old girl allegedly raped by four officers. Oh, my God. The women who organized and protested have shifted the context of violence against women, not as something that's committed by lone perpetrators, but as a reflection of broader cultural and legal systems that devalue women's lives, the machista culture. Mm -hmm. Femicides are often explained as individual criminal acts, normalized and even justified by the widespread violence due to the war against organized crime. Victim blaming is regularly used by authorities, and the media headlines often treat women as provocateurs or complicit in the crimes committed against them. Earlier this year, the United Nations presented the Spotlight Initiative, a program to prevent and eliminate femicide, and announced that it will operate in Ciudad Juarez and Ecatepec, among other places in the country, putting international pressure on the Mexican government to address the national emergency women are facing. Wow. Well, that's uh, that's the silver lining, right? That the UN is 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 yeah. on it. So wow. And I love the idea of the glitter revolution. I just love that. <laughs> I like that too. I don't know yeah. how you say glitter in, in Espanol, but uh, sometimes with English words like glitter or like sprite, you just say sprite or egg later <laughs> and you turn it into Spanish. <laughs> um, so uh, thank you, Beth, for that uh, wonderful story. Well, thanks to Sasha for posting it in the Facebook oh, group. Oh, yes. Yeah. Thank you, Sasha. Hip hop air horn to you, Ma. Yeah. There we go. Sasha. Sasha, did you hear that? Yeah. That's for you. So now we're going to get into the <laughs> shout out portion of our show where we shout out any content by people of color or about people of color or any true crime goodies. So I have a shout out and it's um, one of the sources that I used in this episode or we used in this episode. It's called Leyendas Legendarias and it translates to Legendary Legends, which is a great title. <laughs> and it, it is. I love that. <laughs> it's a podcast in Spanish hosted by three Latinx male comedians. I think they are in Mexico. Um, but they're very, very funny. And they talk about true crime, paranormal stuff and legendary stuff. But if you want to hear about true crime from a different perspective in another language or brush up on your Spanish, then it's a really good listen. So I'm going to have to learn Spanish. <laughs> you will. <laughs> uh, you know, I yeah. so I I when I had kids, I, I, I have committed to speaking to them in Spanish. But like one of the reasons was because I wanted to like talk shit about my old whitey husband. And he's picked it up. He so he understands everything that I'm so saying. So he speaks Spanish yeah. now. No, he doesn't speak it, but he Shit. definitely understands it. So, but he understands it. <laughs> so uh, how do you say "old whitey" in Spanish? Uh, gringo, gran gringo. Just gringo, gran, gran gringo. gringo or gran gran güero. <laughs> Granuero, güero, güero, simo, güero, simo, yeah. <laughs> so, so what do you got for a shout out? I wanted to shout out the Believer Skeptic podcast. Woo, you excited. heard them in this week's ad mm-hmm. and their podcast is really, really fun. Yeah. The description on their website is... 
Believer Skeptic Podcast is a podcast that delves into strange and humorous phenomena, including seeing Jesus on your toes, supernatural <laughs> sightings, cryptozoology, and so much more. Cody and Chris have created a platform on which they can discuss both sides of the phenomena, real or bullshit, while sipping on booze and spirits that represent their chosen topic. They hope to entertain, enlighten, and maybe even educate you on all things fun and weird. They're local to us in there in Phoenix, and they have a live event coming up on October 20th at the Six Sense Theater. That's S-I-C, Six Sense Theater. So yeah. check them out. Yes. They're really fun. They are a fantastic gentlemen. I like I we just felt like an instant connection with them. They are so fucking dope. So um Yeah. If I can get my shit together, I will be at that show. Yeah, me too. So <laughs> so where can the people find us, Ben? Our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod, and our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash app, which you can download to your phone, or you can find online at cash.me forward slash dollar sign Fruit Loops Pod, or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. And we also have merch on our website at fruitloopspod.com forward slash merch. That's right. Now, this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, guys. It's crazy out there. We are gathered here today to give you permission to plan the wedding that you want. I'm Jessica Bishop. And I'm Sari Wienerman. And we're the hosts of the Bouquet Toss podcast. Today's couples have to juggle so many things from family expectations to outdated traditions and what's currently trending. So to make it easier, we're going deep to figure out why we do weddings the way that we do. So you can decide what to keep and what to toss from your wedding day plans. You are cordially invited to subscribe to the Bouquet Toss wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. By the power vested in us, we pronounce you free to plan your day your way. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. 
In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939 when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era like Cuba and Vietnam, and I'll unpack the conspiracy theories too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st.